5th of August, 1969, Tuesday, March, had a two-platoon airmobile on a wild goose chase. Negative results. In AM, on way back, forced down by weather at Black Horse. Finally back to March. Met Delta Company there. Found out Charlie Company was moving out to a new AO tomorrow. Night. About dark, Delta ambushes moved out. About 15 minutes later, we heard a loud explosion. Delta ambush had hit a mine. Captain McGinnis and I went and helped. One KIA, four WIA, KIA, throat cut. Second lieutenant in charge hit very bad in legs. Lieutenant had been in country less than a month. Married, wife expecting. Believe he will make it. I'm tired of seeing death and blood. The smell of blood is something hard to forget, especially in these circumstances. Lack of results from our airmobile and other operations were beginning to convince me that the rumors of the enemies no longer being in our area were true. Some of the intelligence officers were saying the NVA had pulled back into War Zone D, or even all the way back to Cambodia, to regroup for an offensive when the dry season returned. Delta Company dropped their heavier equipment at Marge before moving out on night platoon-size ambush. They were to take over responsibility for Marge the next morning. Several of the old-timers in Delta stopped by my bunker to bullshit before they left for their NDPs. They reported that some of their buddies who had been through the fights of the last few months had finally found their way out of the field. Their method was to re-enlist for six more years. With these extensions of their service commitments, they were allowed to change MOSs from infantry to supply clerk, or mechanic, or whatever. They now had safe, secure jobs back in Long Bin and Saigon. It seemed like a hell of a way to get out of combat. Still, a six-year extension sounded better than the finality of death, which seemed the infantryman's fate in Delta Company. One of the Delta platoons stayed back for several hours after the rest of the company departed, because their NDP was nearby. I had talked with the eager new platoon leader a few weeks before, when most of our conversation centered around our both having pregnant wives back home. His was supposed to deliver a month after Linda. We exchanged updates. McGinnis, Stewart, and I were in the CP bunker when we heard the dull explosion a half-click from the firebase. The black cloud of smoke rising in the rubber trees was accompanied by screams of the wounded. McGinnis told Stu to crank up a medevac as he, Doc Bass, and I ran toward the Delta platoon. We were at the scene in a few minutes. The platoon sergeant was trying to get security set up as his RTO was making reports on the radio. Blood was still pumping in bright red jets from the cut jugular of one soldier. His buddy was trying with both hands to stop the blood flow. It ceased only when the heart had pumped all the liquid from the body. McGinnis and I walked past the body to the other wounded. The platoon leader I had been talking to only a few minutes before was clutching at what was left of his legs. A medic was trying to tighten a tourniquet on the limb that was hit the worst, but when he tightened the cord, the lieutenant screamed. The young medic released the pressure with each outburst. McGinnis grabbed the tourniquet while I held the man to the ground. Placing his foot on the bloody thigh for leverage, McGinnis added pressure on the tourniquet until the blood flow mostly stopped.
Taking a tube of morphine from the medic, I placed a needle on the tip of the serrette. It was difficult to find a piece of skin not already punctured by shrapnel. As I pushed the needle in, the officer grimaced in pain. I could not believe, with all the holes already in him, that he could feel the small needle. Seconds after I rolled the tube downward, forcing the morphine into him, he relaxed. As I marked an M in blood on his forehead so the medevac would know he already had morphine, he began to talk. He inquired about his men, followed immediately by asking if his balls were all right. We were cutting his trousers away at the time, so I checked. I told him his balls were okay, but I did not tell him that he would obviously lose one leg, if not both. He continued to talk as I cradled him in my arms while keeping pressure on the tourniquet. Darkness and low clouds slowed the dust-off's descent into the yard of an abandoned church at the edge of Cam Tam.